0: A very warm welcome. You're joining us here at Hyde Park on Other Dharana 24. Uh, Sri Lanka has promised a host of reforms in the judiciary, judicial system. And um, in recent uh, days and weeks, we've been talking about digitalization and introduction of the digital form form of working to the judiciary. Um, I thought of talking to our Justice Minister, President's Council, Minister Ali Sabri, Tonight, our Tide park. A very warm welcome to you, sir. Thank
1: um, you very much. Thank you for having me. Very. Yes,
0: um, uh, we're thankful uh, that that you made uh, you can join us today. I think as you took office um, as the justice minister, we were able to talk to you about what you plan and intend to introduce. Um, Every week we uh, talk about reforms to the judiciary, to the legal system, and in most recent times about digitalization. Tell us what progress uh, you aim to achieve here.
1: Yeah, as I uh, told on the previous occasion, the uh, judiciary, just like many other areas, uh, was crying for a overhaul of the whole system in terms of uh, introducing the technology, embracing the latest technology which is there and which has been successful in other places, and a host of judicial reforms which are necessary. So it is in that, that terms that we are totally trying to roll these out. We have been planning, we have been started uh, getting those reports in, now in the pace of slowly implementing those things and coming into the fruition. So that is how we are working right now, digitalization or digital signature empowering. Uh, had, is long overdue and we just gave an impetus to it and then I saw a lot of others are following now.
0: What does this entail? Where are we going with this minister? Yeah,
1: basically I'll just give a simple example. Mm-hmm. Now digitalization mean doesn't mean that you only have a um, website and say that we have a website. Mm-hmm. For example, if you want um, say the land registry, lawyers have to go there in order to search a particular documentation or to apply certain things. So what right now what is happening if you just allow that online, you just go there and download the documents. Mm-hmm. But it must go beyond that. How that? If you want to go there and get a certified copy, you should be able to go into the system, download the application, fill there, then send it t- across with a payment gateway and pay online. Mm-hmm. They have to download that, fill that also in and send it back. So there is less human touch, you don't need to waste your time. But what's happening right now is just you just download it, you hand fill it, you go and personally hand over to that. You still be in a queue, you still pay your money, you still go and hand over to them and then go and collect it again. So completely purposes. negating
0: any uh, benefits of that <laughs> thing, uh, the, the and then
1: we still call it a digitalization but we want to go into the real digitalization and it is in that form that I thought in a small way mm-hmm. let us start from our ministry and give that uh, impetus to the other areas and particularly to the courts, because our digitalization plan is at the last stage. Hopefully we will start rolling it out from the next year
0: um you did mention Minister during our conversation at Hyde Park previously that uh, you intend to uh, change or bring bring a more contemporary uh, sphere to this to archaic Outdated laws. How do you intend to address the question of laws delays, especially now during this period of uh, extended uh, restrictions from last year? We saw that uh, people who seek the support of the law have been um, at uh, are disadvantaged. So how do we uh, incorporate this modern technology also going forward, not just to address the question of uh, laws delays, but also um, disadvantages and hindrances brought forth by uh, issues as these? I know. So
1: basically, uh, um, unfortunately, due to the COVID, mm-hmm. we couldn't go at the pace what we would have wanted to go. Uh, but <laughs> despite these difficulties, we have seen that I brought in the law, mm-hmm. which is the COVID-19 Act which in terms of which online hearing is permitted. So up to that point in time, you could not have heard the cases online. Now the online hearing is permitted. So even if it is locked down, you can uh, continue to do uh, your work through the online uh, portal. So that uh, that is happening in the saw in um, Mount Lavinia courts mm-hmm. have started mm-hmm. a pilot project. Supreme Court, Court of Appeal started. We have connected the prisons. But on the long run, as you say, uh, we need to have more courthouses, more judges, new laws, embrace the technology. For example, the same thing that I told earlier. If you want to, uh, a lawyer, need to go there to find physically find the particular file, then take a week to find the file. Yeah. Then you had to apply, pay for it, then be on a queue, collect it. Instead of that, we need to slowly go to a system where mm-hmm. from uh, your desktop, you can just apply for that, make a uh, payment through that. That's a long way down, but we have we are uh, in the last process of uh, rolling out the final uh, RFP these days. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, uh, hopefully, from January, we have identified forty-two courthouses to roll out this system within a period of three years. We want to connect the whole Sri Lankan legal system mm-hmm. into a digitalization platform. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that will help ease the burden on uh, loss delays. But these are ambitious uh, new uh, breakthrough projects. So unless there is a paradigm shift, unless all stakeholders, including the government, the judiciary, the judges, the lawyers, the public, and the people who work in the judicial system, work with the same vigor and passion. We may not go to the extent what we want to go, Certainly from the ministry, we are pushing it. We are f- giving a platform.
0: So far, how is the support and cooperation of all other stakeholders and linked agencies to this effort? Pretty good.
1: I'm very happy. Uh, uh, Judicial Service Commission has mm-hmm. been very helpful. Bar Association has been uh, uh, excellent. Uh, they have been cooperating in a big way. Some of the bars have taken the initiative on their own. Mm-hmm. And international organizations like USAID, UNDP, European Union all have been coming in forthcoming and helping us whenever we wanted some sort of help in terms of technical assistance or infrastructure development. Mm-hmm. So so far it has gone mm-hmm. quite well because this is a new area. Uh, this is long overdue. Um, unfortunately, COVID had put a little bit of a roadblock on the uh, on the path, but it's an in another way, it also has accelerated the advancement of technology into the sector Mm -hmm. so I'm hopeful uh, that we should be able to find some breakthroughs uh,
0: um, minister we know that you're trying to bring in uh, changes and modernize a system that is outdated and there's so much work that's needed but how does this also uh, when you say january by january we will have s- a platform uh, that we will be able to uh, initiate efforts on this platform uh, does this also mean that some of these cases that have been outdated or have been going on and on for decades will also be taken up I- through this system is there an opportunity uh, w- what's the next? Step here, or is it is it commercial matters that will be addressed? How do yeah. we start?
1: now this is one one of the many tools we are providing mm-hmm. in order to address what you are saying mm-hmm. perennial question of loss delays mm-hmm. so one is advancement of the technology and use the technology other one is we are introducing some uh, innovative new courthouses for example something called we are in the final process of rolling out a court called uh, the small claim court. Mm-hmm. so if your claim is less than 1.5 million like many other advanced jurisdiction instead of you sit and go through evidence and cross-examination a, a innovative manner in which based on documentation a judgment to be given. Mm-hmm. So uh, apart from that, new courthouses will come. But basically, we are looking at the commercial areas at the first instance. But this uh, digitalization progress is in four stages. First stage will cover 42 courthouses and then uh, slowly will embrace the entirety of the Sri Lankan judiciary. Uh,
0: talking about di- digitalization, I think Sri Lanka has begun uh, speaking of the necessity of developing an integrated system that uh, integrates digital banking, blockchain technology and cryptocurrency um, and other essential services. Uh, yes, when when crypto was introduced um, and Bitcoin was introduced, uh, many were skeptical. Some of our financial experts were skeptical. But, but Today, this has become a massive uh, uh, entity that, that the world over, all countries are looking at um, bringing in regulations. Uh, how do you think our legal system will be able to bring in a regulatory framework? Or is that necessary? How, how does the judiciary plan to intervene here?
1: Yeah, it's a uh, long ask, but I'm glad. Uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, His Excellency, the president, is very tech savvy. And he, he has a passion to introducing uh, technology into the system. And we have a very vibrant and passionate minister, in uh, Honorable Namal Rajapaksha, in uh, dealing with it. So we are in the process of introducing this, because this is like, if you uh, if you said somebody 25 years ago, uh, email will be the normal cause of uh, uh, your 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 day-to-day business, people would have laughed off, you know? Now it has become so, is crypto is also like that. No, it's going to be in future, blockchain is very secure. Uh, whoever who resists uh, probably ultimately has to embrace it. Uh, uh, so it is in that sense. I think Srila uh, we have an opportunity here. We are a small country, we are an educated uh, country of population. We have a good uh, vibrant legal system. So if we can provide an opportunity and a platform to the region, mm-hmm. there is a market for taking. So we want to be the first. It is it is what the uh, Honorable Namal Rajapaksha, being the state minister in charge of digitalization, is all out to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, he got the permission last week through his excellency the president's cabinet paper uh, to appoint a special committee to look into the digitalization process. And we are in the process of looking at it. Uh, um, I will work with uh, Honorable Namal Rajapaksha in order to get the necessary legal platform to roll this out because this is a huge opportunity we shouldn't let go before others in the region take this we should be the leaders Mm -hmm. so that we are forerunners in the region and probably in asia also
0: Uh, when we say a committee consists of of, uh, skilled professionals will be included to look into this does this mean we will have legal experts as well joining the committee
1: yeah that's what my my opinion is that uh, and Honourable namal rajapaksha had in fact uh, uh, just uh, a few minutes ago had a discussion, mm-hmm. uh, and he' also that opinion, so we 'll get the legal experts also into that once you look at the whole f- framework, we probably will have to roll out a uh, legal uh, framework to do that
0: uh, now sri lanka 's engagement minister with the international community, we speak about this especially in terms of human rights, but it uh, This is uh, revolving mainly around uh, the Prevention of Terrorism Act. Uh, Let's talk about this. How how is Sri Lanka uh, looking at engaging with the international community as well as addressing their uh, demands and requirements and setting up a secure system within the country?
1: Yeah, I I think that's an important question. (laughs) We we need to be an equal partner in the international arena. We are a dignified country. We don't need to identify ourselves somebody out of norm in the international community. We need to be an equal partner. Equal partner means there are responsibilities as well as there are privileges. So we will not compromise our national interest or national security. But in the meantime, uh, giving human rights, liberty, and freedom of the citizen uh, its due share is not anything which need to be ashamed or uh, proud, um, not to be proud of. So it is that balance we are, uh, we are trying to achieve here. In terms of that, some of the outdated laws, that's how law evolves. So the, the PTA had been brought in 1979. Now mm-hmm. things have moved on uh, in terms of national security, the new threats, uh, similarly, mm, in terms of uh, the some of the requirement to have better human rights uh, in terms of re- respecting people's freedom. Mm-hmm. So we are in the process of discussing those things and come to terms with the realities in the world as at the present juncture. So it is in that sense, I think, a committee has been looking into this. I'm sure we should be able to come out with an act mm-hmm. which is both uh, not compromising our national security, equally not compromising the freedom and liberty of our own citizens. So uh, I'm sure we should be able to come out with a balanced uh, anti-terror act in terms of uh, revisiting and amend in the PTA mm-hmm. uh,
0: although the international community says repeal it government yeah. continually said uh, no we have to ensure our national security as you mentioned but uh, when, when you say amendments will be brought to the existing PTA uh, what areas are we looking at minister is there an indication uh, that you can give us
1: yeah basically the e- Question had been for a long period of time is that uh, when when detaining somebody and prosecuting someone, there in our c- un- constitution says in terms of Article 13 sub Article 5 that all pa- all uh, accused or all citizens who have been detained or charged mm-hmm. presume to be innocent until proven guilty. So that due process has to take place. Mm-hmm. Secondly. Anyone who, who has been detained by the executive should have access to court. Mm-hmm. So th- so basically, uh, what happens is when somebody is been detained, there is someone who is prosecuting and someone who is saying that defending and being accused. So some person in the middle, in terms of judiciary, should look into each other's case and give justice. So what we are trying to do is permit more access to court. Mm-hmm. So court supervision and judicial supervision of this provision. This has been the long-term thing, for example, uh, two other cases. Now, somebody was detained uh, on the alleged uh, offense of committing a conspiracy to um, harm the uh, life of our current His Excellency, the president, mm-hmm. the, the, the famous Pithala bomb blast. But after about 11 years or so, he was found not guilty. But for 11 years, he was detained. He never could go out. Mm. So that kind of provisions need to be revisited in terms of that if somebody uh, wants to be detained for a longer period of time, should the court have a look at it and see whether there is enough evidence to keep him there for, forever? Mm-hmm. So, So the bail provisions, the detention provision, the uh, the chance, uh, then opportunity for courts to call for records and looking at it and find a merit to continuous detention. Those mm. are the areas of concerns which we are discussing and trying to get a mm. uh, balance between the national security. And the freedom.
0: Uh, another area of concern, custodial deaths of suspects uh, under police uh, detention. Um, I think in recent times with uh, more high profile deaths of um, underworld figures this year alone, you came out to talk about the need uh, to look into this. Wh- what kind of progress are you making, Minister?
1: Yeah, I think uh, basically mm, discussed, you, you would have seen about three months ago, I brought a law to parliament. In terms of which every magistrate is required and empowered to visit the places of detention Mm -hmm. in his area. That means he can go to the police station, he can go to the CID, he can go to the the remand Mm prisons and find out the conditions of it. So that's one way of ensuring that, that those conditions are humanitarian, those conditions are international standard, those conditions in which People are detained in the uh, in a reasonable manner that's one way of doing it. We have continuously had discussion with the minister in charge of public security and the IGP the need to have a proper mechanism and One good thing is and one progressive matter is that uh, police had been um, we are slowly trying to equip the police with a body cam mm-hmm. so when that happens, if you would see it in foreign countries and all those things, you can go and say something else because everything gets recorded. Mm-hmm. So that's the one innovative way of uh, doing those things in, in times to come. Uh, some of those things, we, we have to eliminate it, how difficult it may be or, or, on, on national security. But still, we need to have that balance because we are a state state means the people, so we have, to have, we have to play in terms of the law and rules, uh, not, not against the law. So that's, that's the hard part, you know? that's what they say, uh, an extremist or, or a terrorist or, or, or someone of that nature need to succeed only once. Then he has achieved his purpose. Mm-hmm. But government and the police and the law enforcement authorities need to succeed in all attempts. Because if we fail in one attempt, uh, this, the terrorist or the, or, or, or the violator has succeeded. So that's a hard task and big ask. But that's how government has to
0: function. But how difficult is it to bring in these uh, regulations or changes or much needed amendments to the laws?
1: yeah it's not easy uh, it's a cumbersome process there are diverse views and people will when we say that the um, when one when one uh, school of thought talks about the freedom the other school of thought is about the freedom for the law enforcement authorities to do their job But basically, what we want is a balance here where the laws are not abused. The powers which have been given lawfully are not abused. So that's a paradigm shift rather than law itself. The the officers, it it, it has to come in terms of training, in in terms of paradigm shift, in terms of treating every one uh, one of our citizens with dignity. So that is what we will continue to urge for. These competing interests have been there for a long period of time, even in the so-called in advanced democracies, this continuous confrontation between the fight for freedom and liberty of the subject and the right to have excess power is a continuous battle. That's, how the, that's, a, that's a part of human civilization. So we are evolving towards mm-hmm. a better uh, situation for tomorrow. That doesn't mean that there won't be issues
0: tomorrow the, uh, or the day the after, but uh, will this be a long-term process, Minister? It because is. you're talking about training here and change in the mindset of uh, our our law enforcement authorities also. But uh, in in the immediate, in the near term, in the near future, what can we do uh, f- in terms of bringing in laws?
1: Yes, we have. That's what I, th- I brought in a law mm-hmm. so that we are to supervise your uh, mm-hmm. detention and all those things. And then our uh, courts have to be more proactive. And for example, you saw uh, in a very good Vele uh, Sudha's case, uh, they went to court, and court gave an injunction, uh, interim order, not to take him out uh, to uh, without the supervision of the of a magistrate or something, uh, because he will, he uh, he went to court and complained that what happened to <laughs> Madhu or whoever it is may happen to me also. Mm-hmm. So that's one, one way of it. So that is why this judicial independence and an uh, efficient and efficacious judiciary is very important. Because this competing in interest of the law enforcement authority and the subjects and their freedom uh, will always be there. So somebody in the middle had to be an arbitrator, mm-hmm. look at each other's case, and prevent excesses. It is there the courts have a great lot to play. I think uh, in coming days and the years, with advance, now we have increased the number of judges in the Supreme Court. In the Court of Appeal, almost doubled it. During the 20th Amendment, I did it. In, uh, from 11 judges in the Supreme Court to 18 judges, 12 judges in the Court of Appeal to 20 judges, which is after 42 years. And if he can do that in the high courts and the magistrate courts also, the, the courts will have a better supervision. So that's how we are looking at it.
0: Right, I think it's time we take a short commercial break here at Hyde Park. We're in conversation with Justice Minister Ali Sabri here at Hyde Park. Welcome back. If we turn to talk about the Easter Sunday attacks and uh, the post investigations of the massacre, here, uh, Minister. I think uh, uh, Archbishop of Colombo, Malcolm Cardinal Ranjit, has continued to voice his disappointment over the progress made um, in terms of investigations and bringing to book those who are responsible. The Attorney General's Department served charges against 25 suspects uh, before the Colombo High Court uh, trial at bar on the 4th of October. Um, but, The Archbishop himself says that the the mastermind uh, of this attack himself has not been uh, uncovered or there is no progress made by the government. When we talk about uh, the the system here, the justice system and uh, work that is being done, what have you got to say, Minister, about uh, how we approach uh, justice, the question of justice to the victims of uh, the Easter Sunday attacks?
1: No, It's very important that uh, we need to do that. And we understand different mindsets. Uh, and we also understand his eminence concern for his people. But as far as the government is concerned, if you look at it, we have steadfastly investigated, particularly after President has come in, in all areas. Now, we, as a government, we can go and take somebody and put me behind bars. That's not our business there is a process in which these things take place. One is based on complaints, investigations are carried out by the law enforcement authorities like police and the um, terrorism investigation, TID uh, division, Mm -hmm. along with the intelligence. So based on those, it will go to the Honorable Attorney General. It is the Honorable Attorney General have to review those evidence and find out or give further instructions do the instructions in this manner. Based on that, it is important that if the Attorney Generals decide against whom the evidence is there to charge. If there is no evidence, you can't charge. And thereafter, only court of, a court of law, and I'm emphasizing that only a court of law could find anyone whether they are guilty or not guilty. So as far as the government is concerned, we have ensured a proper investigation being carried out. We have given all those papers into it. Attorney General had gone through, and he has found evidence against whoever it is, and they have filed the cases. And 23,000 charges in those uh, cases against 25 people. That's as far as the main conspiracy is concerned. Unfortunately, most of the perpetrators are dead because they were suicide bombers. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one side of it. Apart from this, in uh, already an indictment had been served on former IGP and the Defense Secretary for failure on their part to prevent, despite the presence of intelligence, that's for negligence. And there are another few indictments which have been served in Kegol High Court of the people who propagated the extreme ideology in which certain Buddha statues and uh, Jesus Christ statues were harmed. Mm-hmm. So these are the things which has to happen. And unfortunately, we can't just go and take somebody else. So in I can say with a uh, uh, lot of responsibility that Honorable Attorney General's team, which have been uh, investigating this uh, for the last one and a half years or so, uh, or two years or so, had gone through and gone about in a very professional manner. Are you
0: satisfied with the progress that is as made far in as far as I am
1: concerned, yes, it, you could not have done anything better than this based on the evidence you anybody can have several different people in their mind, but you can 't just take people like that. you know you need to have evidence, you need to investigate based on the evidence you need to be charged on the basis of the charges that has to be proved in a court of law. Really, because I don't like somebody or oh, I have a different political ideology against someone, we can't just go and take them in and put behind bars. That's that's not in the ideal. Definitely not in a democracy like Sri Lanka. But
0: is there a lack of interest or enthusiasm to uh, proceed or e- expedite these investigations?
1: No, that's exactly. Uh, in the these are very complicated investigations. You know, the, the mm, I, we have had several discussions with the Honorable Attorney General, 23,000 charges. So indictment itself <laughs> would have been, you had to draft those things, you had to sit and do that thing. They have done it and it have been served on them. And I saw a date being given for the 23rd of uh, 23rd of November to commence the trial. And that is also a special court has been established. So in terms of the law. We have investigated. We have found charges. We have asked for a special court. That the attorney general had asked for a special court to be appointed. That has been appointed. Three judges will hear it, and the evidence will unfold. Mm-hmm. But contrary to that, if somebody is saying that there is evidence against X, Y, O, Z, uh, it, it is good that they go before the, uh, the CID and give those investi- the, the evidence. So based on that, investigation can be carried out. So rather than, I mean, we we cannot, and we are not in a position, unfortunately, uh, without uh, the as a government to go and take someone in. That's not uh, that's not the prerogative of the government. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, if we turn to talk about uh, fake news, hate speech, uh, and laws surrounding this. So we, we spoke about the requirement for bringing uh, regulation or, or, or even to um, regulate social media usage in the country, similar to the First Amendment in the United States. Uh, wh- what kind of progress are we uh, making here, Minister? Yeah,
1: there are a few areas. One is uh, this using internet to any other media. In order to harass small children, the women, obscene publication that was just passed by the cabinet will go to courts on go to parliament one of these days. Second one is about the fake news. Fake news is not to prevent criticism, Mm -hmm. not to prevent sarcasm, not to prevent any of any of those things, but deliberate misleading of subject. Particularly using the fake accounts and all mm-hmm. those things all over the world, people have brought that kind of laws. Singapore, India, Malaysia, Germany, France, all over. So we are in the final stage of rolling that out. That will probably come uh, within the next week, month or two. Mm-hmm. The Thirdly, um, the Harmony Act, in order to bring all the communities together, is being discussed now in 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 the same line as the Singaporean Act of 1990. Uh, so, these three sets of amendments will cover most of the legal
0: requirements. Um, in terms of hate speech, how how will this law enable the monitoring of uh, social media usage and uh, hate speech?
1: Yeah, basically what we are proposing is to set up a commission. Mm-hmm. So a person, a person who is being aggrieved by that can complain to the uh, commission. Commission can ask those sites to take it down. If they don't take it down, they can go to magistrate court and asked it to be brought it down. and if somebody thereafter, um, it's only courts decide thereafter at the court, if somebody found to be uh, violating the laws. In terms of hate speech, creating um, disharmony among the com- uh, communities, and all those things. Just like in the uh, what we have in the penal code, uh, they will be, they could be uh, charged, and thereafter, court must find them whether they are guilty or not. So, it is all within the framework of the constitution, and, uh, and we are only trying to enable the technological advancement or or recognize the technological advancement of these offenses. Mm-hmm.
0: Social media uh, led to several um, ugly uh, incidents in the country uh, over these years, but as a member of the Sri Lankan minority community, how satisfied are you uh, in the progress we're making towards communal harmony uh, in the country and also as a party to the government uh how how can you talk about the progress we're making towards ensuring that uh, that uh, engagement and harmony within communities
1: so long way to go we have not been able to make the amount of progress we would have liked to have it there are deep suspicion amongst the people and unfortunately uh, there are some who thrives on this suspicion and doubts and they make a name for themselves and they have made a art of living with that mm-hmm. so that's a huge challenge for us but overall if you look at it uh, my ministry through the ONUR that is Office of National Unity and uh, Reconciliation and the OR that is Office of Reparation and the Missing Persons Mm -hmm. OMP we have we have been working very hard particularly um, towards the winning the hearts and minds of the Tamils and the Muslims and the vulnerable and also winning the majority uh, the need to coexist so that the way forward for Sri Lanka's development, where everyone will feel safe and dignified. It's a long ask, but as His Excellency the President very correctly articulated in the UN, we are very committed to achieve that. So that all Sri Lankans must feel uh, we belong here, we are all equal, and as long as we live with the values of the community, which we have set up in terms of the constitution and the laws, there is no problem for anyone to, or, or, or no worry for anyone to um, live in this country. So that's where we need to go. But challenges remain, and in terms of uh, prosecuting, you, you, as you correctly pointed out, there is this sentiment amongst the minorities uh, they have been singled out no ICC, RP, or whatever it is when it comes to application, um, it's not been equally applied. So that's a matter we need to uh, address on the long run. But I urge everyone, uh, when Sri Lanka is safe, when all Sri Lankans in this country feel we are equal members of this community, all are safe. When Sri Lanka is not safe, when Sri Lanka, we, when you continue to advance this divisive agenda, no one is going to be safe. And that includes 80% of the Sinhalese, 10% of the Tamils, and 9% of the Muslims. So uh, just now, for example, the vaccine. People thought we can could quickly get ourselves vaccine, and we are out of trouble. But then a different variant comes. So. Nobody is safe until everyone is safe. Mm-hmm. That's in terms of the global globe. So if it comes to Sri Lanka, it's also the same. We must understand no one is in this country going to be safe until each and every one of us are safe and feel safe. So we need to go there. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, some of the respected religious leaders have understood that and they have worked towards that and we, they identify that. But some elements within the communities Uh, for their political or other advancement uh, continue to um, advance this divisive agenda of divide and rule.
0: Um, Talking about um, the the country's uh, communal harmony, um, extremism. And um, radicalization, this is something I've been discussing with you here at Hyde Park. Uh, what measures can we take in order to eliminate uh, those brewing grounds for um, extremists and uh, youth being radicalized?
1: yeah, so that's, that's a huge challenge, mm-hmm. and the community and the community itself must take a massive role on that. And government need to engage the community and give the responsibility towards the community and trust them because are very, very few people on this. But even one person radicalized can cause a massive um, problem to the country. So in terms of that, uh, I think the laws are being brought in. I think our uh, intelligence are working very closely. Communities are going to be engaged. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are looking at various parts of it. And, uh, uh, and we are in the process of um, bringing some of the laws which are required also. So hopefully, over a period of time, with the support, for example, if, if the radicalization take place within the Muslim community, the Muslim community by large, and there are a civil society, they are theologians, they are a religious organizations, and the mosque committees need to take a great responsibility. And in the meantime, the law enforcement authority need to trust them, just like uh, in other countries, mm-hmm. and work with the communities because uh, it is from the community you can get the information about these trends, so that you can. Uh, nip it in the bud, uh,
0: there has been quite a lot of opposition to uh, amendments to the Muslim marriages and divorce act from members of the Muslim community itself. Uh, what has the challenge been like you for you um, as a member of the community and uh, as you aspire to make these progressive changes
1: yeah, it's a, a kind of uh, um, yeah it's kind of shocking in some sense, but the ladies and the oppressed and the progressive people have been continued agitating mm-hmm. for the reforms. From the community also, I think about 90% of what we have discussed, there is agreement. There are a couple of controversial areas which we are trying to iron out. Mm-hmm. I don't want the Muslims to feel that uh, a dominant government represented by majority community is trying to force Uh, on them some laws against their will and push them to the corner. Mm. So that's not what we are trying to do. We are trying to do it's for a long, uh, these reforms have been long articulated and wanted by the community itself, like allowing uh, uh, the the, the prevent child marriages. So give the 18 years at the minimum age, allow the lady a bride to sign her own Marriage certificate uh, allowing a Muslim lady also equal opportunity of acting as a kazi or a counselor just like a man. Why not? Why, why is not suitable? Because today mus- Muslim women probably uh, represent about 65 to 70 percent of the undergraduate community of the Muslims in the campuses. So they have made advancement. So that has to be taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, uh, so the, these are challenges we are trying, we are discussing even yesterday before I had a webinar with uh, respected members of our community, trying to iron out the differences and bring it uh, in line with international norm and go as much as possible in terms of our idea of having one country, one law. It's not in in, in that sense, but mm-hmm eliminate as much differences while respecting diversity. So it's a different, uh, difficult task, but we will achieve uh, some uh, sort of middle ground. So uh, we eliminate child marriages. Mm -hmm. We don't discriminate women. You follow a platform. For your pressed to get justice.
0: Okay. I have just two areas to discuss before we very quickly wrap up the show. Uh, despite uh, the passing of the Port City Economic Commission bill, there are still concerns whether this will usher in the prosperity of uh, that, that the entire nation, economic prosperity, is required. Whether this in, uh, legislation is intended to actually benefit the people. How, how do you uh, respond to this? Mm.
1: Actually, it will. Uh, basically, the whole idea is to create an impetus and a um, model to bring new investment to the region. Mm-hmm. So when the investment comes, the Sri Lanka is the closest. And it is the Sri Lankans who is going to work there. So in terms of that, uh, when the I mean, already a massive amount of money had been invested by the people who have come and invested. So they are not going to see that it is going to be a failure. So similarly, Sri Lanka is also working hard. So I'm sure a period of time and a good uh, mm, amount of interest shown in this Uh, because of the COVID situation mm, some of those things wouldn't have gone to the extent what we expected but I'm sure in terms of um, new investment, uh, um, infrastructure facilities, uh, investment what we envisage will come there and it will be probably a catalyst for the development in the region uh, as well as to the country.
0: The Pandora Papers, we cannot uh, not talk about uh, the question of those mentioned in the Pandora Papers, Sri Lankans. Um, What's the scope of the legality of uh, Sri Lanka following up on these or investigating uh, those mentioned?
1: Yeah, these are basically, they have uh, come out with some evidence or so. His Excellency the President has correctly refer this to the corru- anti-corruption agency in this country that's the bribery commission so once the bribery commission received that they need to investigate and find out there any need truth and to take it forward from their own words so uh, if if someone, uh, I mean, due process has to be followed. So only way is that, that if that evidence is sufficient, based on that, the investigative agencies, particularly on uh, on bribery and corruption, the only, only issue here is not that, uh, but they're saying that this amount of money is there, and whether that money had been duly uh, made by anyone, and tax had been paid for it. So that, that falls within the four corners of the Bribery and Corruption Act. So they need to look into that and find But
0: what out. is the scope within the Sri Lanka's legal system to investigate undisclosed monies or those uh, that have been uh, that are at uh, tax havens elsewhere?
1: Yeah, no, no, basically that's a complicated issue. That's mm-hmm. why they have gone through that tax haven. For example, they themselves, uh, e- even the Pandora Papers itself says Tony Blair and his wife had gone and purchased the property and registered somewhere else. And prevented paying, uh, um, I mean, abstained from paying 342,000 pounds as as stamp duty, but they themselves are saying that's not (laughs) (laughs) really that's avoidance. You know, there is something called tax uh, non-payment and tax avoidance. So, uh, uh, so this is uh, mm, this is a complicated thing. It's not as uh, straightforward as what we see. Uh, as long as they have made the money and kept it somewhere else and disclosed that, there are no problem. So first, you need to identify, actually, these amounts are there, then how they have been made, whether they have made it in Sri Lanka in or outside, and whether they have paid those uh, m- m- uh, amounts as taxes for that, then nobody can complain. But if the taxes are not being paid, if that being paid in Sri Lanka, the manner in which you made only can be revealed on an investigation. Mm-hmm. So having money is not ba- bad or wrong thing. People can have money. But whether that have been legitimately acquired or not is the issue. So that's, that can only reveal based on uh, investigation.
0: So that's a, a question we can talk about, discuss uh, later on at another time. Thank you very much, Minister, for all your time here at Hyde Park. I know you're very busy, but thank you for sharing uh, all the progress that you're making.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me uh, in the very once again.
0: We had with us Justice Minister, President's Council Ali Sabri joining us here at Hyde Park to talk about the progress made in terms of the judiciary, the justice system, the legal system here in Sri Lanka while addressing other uh, key concerns of the PTA to the uh, post-investigations of uh, the uh, Easter Sunday attacks. Thank you for joining us here at Hyde Park.